Election College, Episode 123, The Bill of Rights. Except, you know, all of them, and we're going to talk about the 10 of them. You'll see. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason. Last episode, we talked about the background and the actual like process and everything involved with getting the Bill of Rights passed and making those first 10 amendments to the Constitution shine. And it's probably a good idea if we talk about what the actual amendments were, because we hear so much about the Bill of Rights. We want to talk so much about what they all mean and how to interpret them. They're always in the news and on Law and Order. Um, We should probably just talk about what they actually are. Yeah, I hope we didn't bore anyone with the last episode just because we didn't speak of any of the Bill of Rights. If we did bore you and you skipped right to this episode, that's great. We're fine with that. Yeah, and if you want to know some interesting history, or at least history that Ben and I think is interesting, then go back and listen to it because you'll find it interesting. If you are bored to death by Ben and me, then guess what? You should unsubscribe, probably. (laughs) Don't unsubscribe, please. Please don't. Jason, let's talk about the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. The First Amendment of the Constitution, it is, well, quite often cited, of course, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So basically, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, and freedom to petition. Yeah, and for goodness sake, the government isn't going to say you have to go to this service or uh, ascribe to this particular belief. And that sometimes gets blown out of proportion, no matter what side you're on yeah. of that. The, the amendment says any law respecting an establishment of religion. So you can thank uh, good old TJ for that, by and large. He was a very strong uh, proponent of having the separation of church and state. You've got the Virginia Baptists to thank for that. And uh, yeah, go TJ. Yeah. And one thing about that is I think, uh, and I've even had this misconception in the past, people think that that means there can be absolutely no intersection between religion or government. And really what that's saying is Congress can't force anybody to have any respect to religion or not having religion at all. Um, The same goes for freedom of the speech, freedom of speech. Congress isn't going to say you must say all these things. They're also not going to say you can't say these things. Of course, there are some you know nuances to those, but um, so these are about freedoms, not about things you cannot do. And I think that's where myself and many others have gotten tripped up uh, many times in the past. Yeah, 
So just be thankful that nobody, or at least from the government, is saying you have to do this or you have to do that. But you do have the re- you do have that right as an American to exercise your religion. You have the freedom to speak, and um, you have the right to gather. And uh, in a lot of countries, they don't have the right to do that. Want to move on into the Second Amendment, Jason? Why not? Well, because it's a hotbed. That's why not. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. the Second Amendment you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, okay, so the Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So, Jason, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and tell us what this amendment means? Okay, so it means that you can keep and you can bear arms. And we mentioned this in passing in the last episode, but you need to go back to the English Bill of Rights that was wit- written way back in 1689. Um by the way, this only applies to Protestants in England. It applies to everybody <laughs> in, in the United States. But if you're wondering why, see Amendment Number One. Yeah, <laughs> and and really, this allows people to well defend themselves, and it allows the states to have some sort of militia. And hey, this was something else I learned in history class, uh, that the militia is pretty much the National Guard. Yeah. I didn't know that. If anybody has or would like to go explore that a little bit further, I would like to hear um, what our listeners, their definition of that, of what a militia is, and is the National Guard really your state's militia? I'm just, just curious. That would be interesting. Yeah, and it's always a topic every election cycle, every time there's a national tragedy, etc. Does this mean that anybody and everybody can have essentially guns? Or does this mean that if we want to have a militia like they did back in the day, that they have to be able to have guns? And does it matter what kind of guns? Because, you know, things have changed. And, of course, you know, there's as many sides to the conversation as there are topics about the conversation. So we're not going to get into that. Maybe someday we'll have a debate or something. But um, all you need to know right now is that the, our forefathers wanted us to, in some way, shape, or form, have the ability to keep and bear arms. And that dovetails well with the Third Amendment, which says, quote, No soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war but in a manner to be prescribed by law. If you're living in the 1700s, this is huge. Yeah. This is such a big deal because, well, guess what? British Parliament said, hey, we've got these awesome quartering acts that allow British soldiers to, well, take up residence in anybody's house they want to because, well... We don't have a lot of money and we've got a war to fight. Yeah. And this amendment is probably the least controversial amendment or maybe even phrase in the entire constitution because 
ever since the Revolutionary War was over, nobody's really had an issue with this. Like nobody has just woke up one morning to find, uh, you know, a general and a and a private in the in the bedrooms next to them. They they've always um, <laughs> it's not been an issue. And so as of right now. This has never been the basis of a Supreme Court decision, um, whereas all the other ones have in some way, shape, or form. So, um, yeah, if if you have a problem with this one, that's kind of a strange thing. But if you live in colonial times, you have a problem with this. Yeah, and I, who's not to say that something could come up about this at some point because— well, let's say there's a natural disaster. Let's say there's riots in a city or something like that. And you need to call in the military. You need right. to call in the National Guard. Well, where are they going to stay? And, you know, let's say all the hotels are closed or something. I don't know. What do you do? So it could raise, I mean, this could come up at some point. But I think where it says without the consent of the owner, you know, right. I'm sure if somebody's willing to help out with a certain tragedy that, well, why not put a soldier up in your house? But I don't think that's what they were meaning when they wrote this amendment. Agreed. I'm sure some state, and I'm sure if we looked hard enough, we could know which one, but some state had a real big issue with a bunch of soldiers living in their houses and they decided we got to have this one in there. So the fourth amendment, and this one is all about protecting people whether they're, it's their own person or their house or their papers or anything that they have, um, there's no unreasonable searches and seizures. You shall not be violated. And there should be no warrants that are issued, uh, but upon probable cause. And um, you are protected against people just running up to you and saying, hey, stop, let me check you out. <laughs> unless there's probable cause. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this one is controversial, but everybody at the same time knows exactly what it means. And they know that this is a right that I have, it seems. Um, it's one of those rights that if I think if it were more well-known, people would be more protected. And, um, you know, there, there's oftentimes misuses of uh, and ways to get around the Fourth Amendment. And sometimes they're for everyone's own good, and sometimes they're not. But needless to say, it's one of those rights. I think it's the, the least well-known right by the majority of people, um, what they do and don't have a right to have or not have searched. Yeah. So just know this. If you ever get arrested, you still have rights. And actually, those rights need to be made known to you. And uh, there was... A court case that actually stated that law enforcement needs to let you know what your rights are. Right. Hey, the Fifth Amendment, another one from uh, Law and Order. Dun, dun. <laughs> the the Fifth Amendment basically protects against um, a couple things. Double jeopardy, which is when you cannot be tried for the same crime twice if you are proven innocent the first time. And also against self-incrimination. So if you are under oath, you do not have to say anything that would incriminate yourself. Um, you're more than welcome to if you'd like to, but they cannot make you testify against yourself. Now, of course, if you keep saying, I'm not going to say, I'm going to exercise my Fifth Amendment right, etc., it makes you look guilty. But the fact of the matter is, you never have to confess to a crime 
if you don't want to. Yeah, the Miranda, your Miranda rights, and you know, if you ever watched Law and Order, then you will hear the Miranda rights, which must be told to you. And uh, yeah, it also guarantees this amendment also guarantees that you're going to be compensated if the government says, "Hey." Your house is in the way of this road, and it's for the good of everybody that this road is built. So uh, here's a check, and it's fair market value, you know, eminent domain. So if it's seen as being for the public good, the government can seize your property, but you will be compensated for it. Yeah. And of course, this is a, a common controversy of the phrasing is a just compensation or without a just compensation. And what is a just compensation? What's it worth to you compared to what it's worth to the government? And so, you know, if you ever have an issue of eminent domain and you think they're not offering me enough, I would get a lawyer. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a road that they're going to put over your house. Sometimes it's a shopping mall. Just saying. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, so the Sixth Amendment gives individuals who are involved in a criminal prosecution, the right to enjoy a speedy and public trial. And we talked about some of the elements of this one in the previous episode. You're getting an impartial jury of the state and in the area where the crime had been committed. Yeah, so you get to have a speedy trial. You get to have a public trial. You get to have an impartial jury. They have to tell you what you're being tried for, which, you know, that makes logical sense. But I'm sure there were instances where that was not the case. Uh, If someone says, I saw him do it, you have the right to confront your witnesses and you have the right to an attorney. So all those things make up the Sixth Amendment. Yeah. So the Seventh Amendment is kind of an interesting one because it only applies to federal civil cases. And basically, if you have a claim that involves more than $20, which I would think that any claim that goes to court nowadays is over $20, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but in the time of writing, that was a lot of money still. Anyway, if you have a case that is a federal case, but it's also civil, and it's more than $20, you have the right to a jury and the right to have a jury present. So this obviously has morphed and changed and, uh, you know, very rarely is invoked, I'm sure. But um, at the time, it's like a huge deal. Yeah. Another one that's a huge deal is the Eighth Amendment, which says that excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Ben, one time I was in London and I went to the Clink Museum, which is, you know, a prison, the Clink. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, the reason they called it the Clink was because of the, some of the stuff that they would punish you with and all kinds of crazy stuff that they would use to make you very uncomfortable. Well, I'm sure that the founding fathers were thinking about some of those punishments when they said, cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, absolutely. And there, of course, is the fact that we still have uh, executions in the United States, 
many people would argue that those are cruel and unusual, and many people would argue that they are not. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> the founding fathers thought we shouldn't have cruel and unusual punishments, and they also had executions. So, um, I don't know what it's like, what your opinion is now versus then, and what our public perception has has done now versus then. But uh, at the time of the writing, that cruel and unusual punishments were, in fact, uh, considered death penalties, which is kind of strange, of course. Uh, the <laughs> nobody's nobody's going to say that having your head cut off in a guillotine is not cruel and unusual nowadays. But um, uh, who knows what they thought in the 1700s? Uh, excessive bail is a huge one. Uh, of course, you hear sometimes like, oh, they have a bail set of the million dollars. Well, they have to have justification for those bails. And um, if it's someone that is not going to ever challenge it because of the type of crime or it's a murder or something like that, you're never going to hear anyone chirp about it. Um, if they've stolen a pack of gum from the gas station and the judge sets bail at $5,000, that's probably a little high. So um, it's kind of a matter of perception, I think you could say. Yeah, that's the reason we have judges. Mm -hmm. And so the Ninth Amendment says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So what this amendment is saying, and I can just picture the whole deal going on at the time, because as we talked about in the last episode, James Madison, who wrote these, he was dealing with some people who were not in favor of the Constitution, the Anti-Federalists, as they were called. And what they were saying with these Anti-Federalists, they weren't just trying to be punks. They were concerned that the federal government was outside, acting outside of the bounds of what the federal government should have been doing. So the Ninth Amendment says that there are fundamental rights that exist outside of the Constitution. Now, is it okay to list those rights? Is it possible to list those rights? Um, not really. Yeah, so just because a right is not specifically written down, you may still possess that right. And you know there are numerous examples of this, but um, if you feel like something might be a right and you're not getting it, uh, getting it that way, it's either not a right or you need to dig a little deeper. Yeah. So the Tenth Amendment says, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So if you have something that's not being addressed and that's not being given as authority to the federal government and the states haven't decided on it, it's the people's decision. If the people have decided on it and the state says, nope, it's the state's decision. And of course, you know, the federal government is the top, but essentially um, you don't get any new rights or powers with the, Tenth Amendment, but you haven't had any taken away from you and given to someone else either. Yeah. Reminds me of that line from Different Strokes. They'll have theirs, you'll have yours, and I'll have mine. <laughs> and together we'll be fine because it takes different strokes to the world. Well, that last little bit didn't 
really apply here. But yeah, there's there's this um, chain of command kind of of rights and where they originate from and who grants them. And what it all comes down to is as individuals, we have rights because we are indeed valuable and awesome. So yay. Yay, James Madison for writing these down and yay government for passing them and states for ratifying them. Cause there's a lot that we just take for granted. Yeah. So really interesting story that I came across when I was researching um, a little bit about this episode was that George Washington had commissioned 14 copies, 14 handwritten copies of the Bill of Rights to be issued. And so one was going to go to Congress and the other 13 was going to go to the different states. And things have happened to some of them. Like um, I think one state, the, the document was destroyed in a fire. But North Carolina in the 1860s, their copy was stolen. And they say it was a Union soldier, a, a carpetbagger, if you will, because um, it was after the Civil War, uh, took it. And it didn't reappear until 2003. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we linked to it on our Facebook page uh, yesterday. And you need to check it out. Check out the story because, like, this is pretty recent history where you have North Carolina's copy of the Bill of Rights. Boom. There it is. Well, we think that you guys deserve, one, you deserve a break from us uh, every now and then, I suppose. But two, you deserve a lot of thank yous for the um, you know the great amount of reviews you have left us, the awesome reception you give us every week, twice a week into your ears. And um, we're just ridiculously pleased with our download numbers and um, have you guys to thank for all of that. You can keep that up by letting all of your friends know and enjoying what you enjoy with them um, by letting them know about us through the various means available to you, through social media, through telling them in person, hey, burn them a CD and hand it to them and tell them to enjoy it in the car on the way to the grocery store or something. I don't know. Yeah. And if you're so inclined, we really do appreciate reviews. And if you would, take about 90 seconds of your time and leave us a review in iTunes. It helps more people find out about the podcast. Yeah. We will see you guys next time. And thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.